Stay hungry, stay foolish. Joseph Pine and Jim Gilmore's classic, The Experience Economy, identified a seismic shift in the business world. To set yourself apart from your competition, you need to stage experiences. But as customers increasingly experience the world through their digital gadgets, companies still only scratch the surface of technology-infused experiences. So today's guests, Joseph Pine and Kim Korn, will share how to create new value for customers with offerings that fuse the real and the virtual. Digital technology offers limitless opportunities. You really can create anything you want, but real-world experiences have a richness that virtual ones do not. How can you use the best of both? How can you make such sense of infinite possibility? What kinds of experiences do you create? Which ones can you offer? Which ones should you offer? Today's guests provide a profound new tool geared to exploring and exploiting the digital frontier. They delineate eight different realms of experience encompassing various aspects of reality and virtuality. We welcome authors of infinite possibility, creating customer value on the digital frontier. Kim Korn and B. Joseph Pine II, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Aiden. We love it here. Great to have you both on the show at the same time. And Joe, I, I thought I'd come to you because there's a great backstory behind this book and how a series of events came together which made it happen, which includes Don Tapscott, who was a previous guest on the Innovation Show. Oh, well, that's that's great. Yeah, it basically flows out of the experience economy, you know, which Jim Gilmore and I first published in 1999. The first writing we did, we published on it was 1996. But the book came out in 1999. And, you know, as you know, that was just the beginning of the, you know, the web era, uh, the ability to use internet to dialogue with customers, uh, it was also, uh, you know, a high time in video games and other things. And, and so after it came out, I, I really began to think about what does it mean that, that so much of business is moving to digital technology, is embracing digital technology. And in fact, I have a uh, technology background, you know, I actually started it, I got an applied math degree and a master's in the management of technology or MIT. I worked for IBM for 13 years. And so, and in fact, I even used the ARPANET way back when in Palo Alto because my dad worked on the ARPANET uh, and gave me access to it a little bit. So, you know, I've got that background and I really wanted to figure it out. And so I've been musing around with a framework, but then um, uh, Don Tapscott's uh, company did hire me to work with them uh, for their clients. They, they run multi-client studies in that. Uh, to help figure out what is, you know, what's going on with digital technology. And Mike Dover was a guy that used to work for him as one of his, uh, you know, an, an author of a number of books on, you know, including on Wikinomics and that too. And he came up here to my offices with, with one of their other uh, people. And we just sat down and looked at all these examples and tried to figure out how they related to the framework that I have. And the one, and, and where it really clicked together actually was when we got to Nintendo's Wii. And, and Nintendo's Wii is where I realized that what was going on is that you're using a physical device, right? The controller and the, the accelerometer and the other, other technology inside of that controller to control the video experience that you had. 
And that's when I really began to realize, well, that you really can fuse real things with virtual things. You could, you have the materiality of the controller that as you move it back and forth, whether you're playing tennis or swinging a baseball bat or golf or whatever it might be, is that it controlled the virtual experience in front of you. You know, it was the first time where it really left the, 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 the little axis between your fingertips and your uh, in your mind to to embody yourself, to, to involve your whole body. And that's when I realized, okay, we've got something here uh, in this framework. And the framework um, I, I, I came to call, I don't remember exactly when, uh, the multiverse. The idea is that you know, all of our experiences, right? And when, when we wrote the experience economy, it was all about our, you know, our bodily experiences that we have in retail places and theme parks and sporting events and, and, and so on and so forth, you know, that, that was all about the real world. And all of our experiences in the real world are made up of three fundamental dimensions. In fact, the three fundamental dimensions of the universe, which is time, space, and matter. Right, everything happens in a particular place in space uh, over a particular duration of time, uh, and with, with the material substances that are there, the the matter that help the, the create the physical cues that create that experience, and uh, and time, of course, is uh, I've realized since then how it's so very important that experiences are about the design of of time, and uh, I was rereading one day Stan Davis's book Future Perfect, which is like my you know. The, I'm here today doing what I do because I read this book when I was a strategic planner at IBM. And he coined the term mass customization, which was the subject of my first book in, in one chapter. But another chapter, Stan Davis talked about how corporations were increasingly becoming immaterial, that they're increasingly being made up more and more of bits rather than atoms. And, and he used the phrase, no matter, that, that it was, and I realized that when you think about time, space, and matter, and matter being one dimension, well, what's no matter? No matter is taking that dimension and going back through the origin and going the opposite direction. That no matter is about applying digital substances, about doing things from bits rather than from atoms, from material substances. And so I realized that you could use digital technology to enhance your real world experience. In fact, classically, that's what augmented reality is, is we overlay the real world with this digital overlay that gives us information about it. Uh, and so then I realized, well, if we can go from matter to no matter, we must be able to go from space to no space. Right? Space is about the real places that we inhabit. No space is about the virtual places that we can um, uh, see and experience through a screen of some sort that are generally mediated by a screen. Whether it's a movie screen, whether it's a TV screen, a, a, a monitor, a laptop, a phone, a, a watch, you know, any sort of screen that we have or goggles for that matter. Uh, you know, so right now, uh, you, Aiden, Kim, and I are all in our separate physical places, but then we come together virtually in this this virtual space of a podcast, right? So this is a a virtual place that exists in audio only out there on the web. Um, and then there is, um, so you go from matter to no matter, space to no space, then you go from time to, to no time. And this is a little bit of the more difficult one, but time uh, is is basically the actual events that unspool before us moment by moment by moment, right? And there's nothing you can do, do about it. In fact, you know, you could do a little physics jokes and say that the time goes at the approximate speed of one second per second, right? There, there, and there's nothing you can do about it. But no time is any way that you get out of that, that you, that you stop 
being held to the, the tyranny of time, that you hyperlink things like you can on the web, that you have asynchronous conversations, that, that we record this at one time, you edit it another time, and then people then listen to it at a third time. Right, that's an example of a, of a no time experience. If you if you experience the past, if you envision the future, if you get into flow, where all sense of time washes away, all of those are playing with um, with time. So any way you play with time qualifies as no time. So so that then is is, is the multiverse. It's basically these three dimensions with two different endpoints. Of, of, again, matter and no matter, space and no space, time and, and no time. And what that opens up is the infinite possibility Kim and I talk about in the book, where you can now create experiences that have never before been uh, engendered and envisioned or encountered. Because with digital technology, with the ability of the multiverse, we are limited only by our imaginations. And of that, there is no end. What really came forward to me, and, and bearing in mind you wrote the book in 2011, like this book is still ahead of its game, even though you wrote it seven, eight years ago. <laughs> but one of the things that, that really dawned on me was that business usually mistakenly looks at the world in terms of parts or holes, so, so that they don't look at it holistically. So, for example, we have a digital department or an innovation department, and they're all silos instead of looking at it as a holistic whole. And, and you talk about most executives and business leaders and leadership frame most of their decisions around physical versus virtual or atoms versus bits. Most digital transformations are usually lipstick on a pig. They're not changing the animal <laughs> or actually at least examining that maybe we need a different animal in the first place. And it's this that you bring in. You give us a framework in a world where we need to be able to make sense. You give us a framework to be able to look at this this element of the framework, the time, matter, space, and give us a new lens through which to look at business and business strategy. Aiden, you mentioned the timeless knowledge here. You know, the framework concepts and the principles in the book are timeless, and they're even more relevant today because of the advances in digital technology, and they're more needed now. And you'll notice that when you look through Joe's history, who's the main thread through all of these frameworks. He started out with the mass customization product process matrix. And he goes on and with Gilmore to develop a bunch of uh, very good frameworks with progression of, like the progression of economic value in the experience economy and authenticity, the framework for rendering authenticity. And then we came along and uh, worked up the multiverse. And uh, all these frameworks fit together because they're all true. They get at the truth of the matter, whatever that is. And they all revolve around value creation. And the next one that Joe and I are working on, which we can talk about later, is the re regenerative managing. And with re regenerative managing, you're basically putting all these to work to develop enterprises that thrive indefinitely. They continue to regenerate themselves, sustaining their vitality. Yeah, this may just be hubris, but I, I tend to talk about this now, sort of like the Marvel you know, Cinematic Universe, that you've got all these things together that do, in fact, fit together. And, and, and they're all different parts of the, the you know, different constellations within this. And, and Kim's exactly right, though, that fundamentally everything we talk about uh, from mass customization through to regenerative, the forthcoming regenerative managing is about how do you create greater economic value for your customers? Yeah, and, and I love what you said there because bringing them together, it's like, and you mentioned Marvel superheroes. Like I have this image in my head where in, in many story arcs, 
you have to collect different parts of the puzzle which have been spread across the universe and bring them together and you create this master weapon and it's almost like that with frameworks that the frameworks are separate but when they're brought together it creates this unbelievable lens that you can create infinite <laughs> business with and i love the way you describe the digital frontier you, you talk initially about this idea of cosmos incogniti it is sort of like you know iron man uh, is one sort of movie, but the Avengers are a whole other thing <laughs> when you bring them all yeah, together. Yeah. Right. The, the notice of, of Cosmos Incogniti gets back to when we're thinking about this book is, is, is Kim and I really thought of it as an exploration, that we want people to do is to explore, to discover. And, and by exploration is how you discover the opportunities that are right for you amidst infinite possibility. And so brought to mind the old maps. If you remember the old maps where, where you get to this point, where, where, where the knowledge would fall away, right? And they'd say, here be dragons. And, and on those maps, they had what they called a terra incognita, unknown land. And I realized that, that here with the, the digital frontier, that it is cosmos incogniti, that there are unknown universes out there as part of this multiverse, unknown um, um, sources of ideas that we can tap into and it still is, as, as Kim pointed out, you know, there, there's more, much more technology now than when we wrote the book and published it seven years ago. And there's much more to come because it, it is through exploration where we gain new knowledge and where we can then apply that new knowledge. So if we had a, you know, a cosmic map of the entire universe, you know, where our knowledge dropped off, where the, you have that cosmos incogniti, you know, that instead of here be dragons, the thing to understand is here be opportunity. That if is, it is unknown, if nobody's mapped it out, if nobody's figured out, then there's tremendous opportunity for innovation that will create more value for your customers and therefore more value for you. If you think of the digital frontier as sort of a sphere that has its center in the center of the multiverse, and it's someplace out there on the, on the surface of the sphere is the digital frontier. Well, it's really the value creation frontier. And, uh, you know, as far as businesses go. So it really covers all forms of value creation. And, and what's cool about the digital frontier is the more it gets explored, the more it gets settled, the bigger it becomes. Because as the sphere expands, there's more frontier. And that's the huge <laughs> difference in the abundance of the knowledge economy that we have now versus the scarcity of the physical economy, where we have increasing returns versus decreasing returns. And, and so though it sounds illogical, practically speaking, the infinite possibility of the digital frontier expands infinitely as more of the frontier gets settled. Beautiful. This is why I'm saying it's so ahead of its time, because it was like this long last map that was been lying there. And, you know, Joe, you were saying the book's still selling like hotcakes because it's still so relevant for people. And what, what really attracted me to your work in, in, in the first instance, Joe, was it's like these frameworks through which to make sense of something that you're just totally unaware of. Like, so I, I served as a head of digital and a head of innovation and you need these frameworks, no matter how good you are, when you have, yep. you know, it's like you don't see, or you're seeing fuzzy and all of a sudden you can see clearly, and then you can make really, really good strategic decisions. But, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of time and I was running out of time because there's so much in this and we haven't even got to the eight realms of the multiverse. It's going to be difficult to describe this. Uh, for me, I was like, how are the guys going to describe this? Because usually you would be on stage, you travel globally, both of you, and you speak about the multiverse amongst other things. But 
would be great to to share briefly the eight realms of the multiverse if we can and maybe ask our listeners to imagine it and see it as a framework in their minds <laughs> well, well you know so a couple of things there is that one i encourage every listener to buy the book <laughs> and look at the frameworks because imagining this is going to be hard right or at least you know the framework is out there on you know on the internet so you know, you know, pause do a quick search for multiverse pine and corn and uh, and you'll find that that framework out there. So and and one of the things I've discovered too since we came out is is what I already described of time, space, matter. No time, no space, no matter. Right? Everybody gets that. Everybody can understand that. You can break it up that way. They can understand how you combine you know the virtual places with uh, you know with physical matter and how and and how that's what a we does and so forth. How augmented reality is taking um, a bits and digital substances and augmenting a real world experience and so forth. But but to understand it all does get very difficult. So. So I, you know, when I was at MIT as statistics professor, when he started to get into the more detailed, uh, you know, mathematical realms, would say, "Fasten your seatbelts." Right. So that's good advice here. That as we get into this, you know, as fasten your seatbelts as we go through it, because um, because what you have here is a two by two by two, right? You got you got the 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 three dimensions with the six endpoints. And they yield a two by two by two, where you can have, you know, again, matter or no matter, space or no space, time or no time. And so you have in that two by two by two octants. There are eight octants. There are eight ways you can take those things um, and and look at them individually. And two of them are really easy, right? So one is reality, and the other is virtuality. Kim and I call those the anchors of the multiverse. That things revolve around is the base core experience one in the real world. One where you're in a real place and that's the core of the experience, or is it in a virtual world where it's a virtual place that is the core of the experience? So reality is, again, the the universe that we know, the real world experiences that we know, time, space, and matter. So one of the things Kim and I like to point out in the book, you know, the, the chapter on reality, because we have a chapter in each one of these eight octants or these eight realms of the multiverse, the chapter on reality is the shortest one, right? Because we, we, you know, we talked about that in the experience economy. We know that best. But one of the things I point out there is that reality will now and forevermore provide the richest of experiences. And so the, this book is not a plea to abandon reality. You know, reality still comes in 3D, you know, all by itself with no technology, uh, with the best sensory, the best richest experiences. But in fact, there are things that are simply not possible in reality that virtuality provides. And so virtuality is, is the exact opposite. It is no matter, no space, no time. It's a virtual experience that happens through digital technology that it gets outside of time in some way. And you think, of course, about all the, the games that you play, uh, the, you know, the, any sort of video game, any sort of computer game, uh, anything with an avatar. You know, uh, avatars are these amazing things because they represent our own identity uh, inside of virtuality. And in fact, our phones are basically becoming our avatars. Our phones are these windows uh, into virtual worlds. We can immediately drop out of reality and drop into a virtual experience at a moment's notice, whether that's C- Candy Crush, whether that's a YouTube video, whether that's uh, uh, texting or chatting or you know taking selfies and, and posting them on Instagram, wh- wh- whatever it might be. So more and more of our time is, in fact, spent in virtuality. All right. So those two are the easiest to understand. 
And then you get sort of the, the ones that go off of there. So augmented reality, I already mentioned. We're very familiar with augmented reality. Augmented reality is when you have digital technology that amplifies that real-world experience uh, of, of space uh, in time. Uh, and the, the easiest augmented reality is a, is a GPS system whether originally the, the separate systems from from TomTom Tom and Garvin and so forth. Uh, but now mostly we use our phone, we use Google Maps, and it, it'll pull up a map of, of reality. And that map is is moving along and gives us directions of we can go this way, we can go that way, right? That's augmenting reality. The real world experience, the driving experience, or walking in a city is the core experience, but we're augmenting that. When we use our phone and we look around with various different applications to get information on what's around us, whether the, you know, here are restaurants, here are apartments to rent, or so forth, that's augmented reality. Many of us have only ever seen or considered augmented reality visually and you share with us in the book this goes much more beyond visual it it includes smell it goes down to you mentioned hugh Hare of mit media lab and his work for amputees for example yes um so today we tend to think of augmented reality as only augmenting the visual sense you know sometimes which like a microsoft hololens where we actually have uh, you know, glass over our eyes that that overlay the real world with digital information again. But there, more and more, there are uh, abilities to augment uh, our sense of hearing, our sense of touch uh, and smell. Eventually, smell and taste, uh, and kinesthetic as well. And that's what Hugh Hare is. He's a, a, a professor at the MIT Media Lab who I met and interviewed for the book, and he actually. Uh, lost his both of his legs in a climbing accident, I think on Mount Washington, uh, when he was like 16 years old. And he got prosthetics, and he started sort of, you know, hacking the prosthetics. He started, re- he realized that if he made them, why does he have to be the, the same height he used to be? What if he made longer legs? <laughs> you know, so below, longer, and he found out he could, he could climb that much better. And so now he focuses on digitally infusing prosthetics that they can understand what the what the um, you know what sort of surface it's walking on, what you're how you're climbing or moving or running or whatever, and begin to react to it. So in fact, you can run faster than you could before. You can climb higher than you could before. You could jump longer than you could before. And he believes, get this, Aiden. He actually believes that in the future, right, people will actually cut off. They're working limbs to get access to the technology to hack themselves and essentially become cyborgs. <laughs> now, it's sort of like once you say that, you say, yeah, you know that's going to happen, right? Because it's just going to enhance us. You know, one of the things Kim and I say about the, the, about the multiverse is it effectively gives people superpowers. You would use this yourself for your golf game, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I was telling somebody the other day is I hit the ball as far as I did 20 years ago. But that's with like five generations of technology. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're consistent, man. You're, yes. you're, you're embracing a, a disruption. Let's put it that way. So, so we'll move on then because we, next, I suppose, next step is alternate reality. Yes. Yes. So, so alternate reality uh, is – it comes from the term alternate reality games or ARGs. And these, basically what alternate reality is, is where you take a game and you play it out in the real world, right? So it spills out into the real world. 
and you you have these game features where you can you can call to your, your timeout, you can pause, you can do other things, you can come back to the game. That's where you're playing with time, right? The time you know, the, the game doesn't just run consecutively, but it runs whenever you are are playing it. And the and the LARPs are like this, you know, live action role playing game. I had the opportunity to be headmaster at the College of Extraordinary Experience at a castle in Poland, of all places, where these guys put together a LARP that's basically like you're, you know, you're at Hogwarts, except instead of learning spells, you're learning how to design experiences. I saw that on Instagram man, or, or on LinkedIn. I just thought you'd changed your wardrobe. I <laughs> know, it was wonderful. <laughs> So now today, this came out long after the book, but the example everybody knows today is Pokemon Go, right? Pokemon Go gets people out into the real world. They take a video game and basically move it out into the real world. They create an alternate reality. That's not just a, 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 you know, a retail store over there. It's a place where these Pokemon characters hang out. And so that alternate view of the real world is what really defines uh, alternate reality. There's a great line you talk about. You talk about new media developer Asta Wellajus. I think that's his name of Copenhagen-based yes. uh, Asta Experience. And the, the he gives the quote on alternate reality and the rabbit hole. Where the um, alternate reality games have this rabbit hole that you that you go down into. And uh, Asta uh, Velias said uh, that... Uh, an ordinary virtual game is like Alice going down the proverbial rabbit hole where she enters a virtual world, totally unfamiliar to her experience in the real world. An ARG, an alternate reality game, takes dynamite to the rabbit hole and blows it up, letting all that virtual activity spill out in the real world and makes a distinction between reality and the game world disappear, right? The game is now alive, she says. And that's what's, what's really key, is you make the game alive. You bring it out into the real world. You mentioned Pokemon Go because... One of the first places we see all the, the multiverse emerge is in gaming. And w like Pokemon, there's another one called Yokai Watch. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a Japanese-based cartoon. And my kids got into it quite late. So they're five and eight. And they first saw they, they had it on TV. And I was watching. I was like kind of going, it's all based around the watch. I bet you the watch is for sale. So then I went on Amazon. <laughs> I saw the watch. The watch is for sale. Then I started going down the rabbit hole where I saw that they they actually make massive money from selling the little discs that go into the watch that yep. enable each of the characters. And then I went further. I went, this would be really, really great because I'd read the book and I was like, this is a, a great example of the multiverse in action here. So the cartoon sells, the watches sells, the merchandise sells, the tokens <laughs> makes people create this scarcity, scarcity. And then I was like, next, I was kind of going, it would be great if it was augmented. Then I saw there's an app, you scan yep. the things, they come to life, they make their sound and they introduce themselves. And then I was like, the only thing missing is reality in that Yokai Watch amusement park would be the ultimate piece de la resistance. Right, right. Well, like there are... Um uh, what's the what's the game out of Finland the, where you shoot the animals um, from Rovio? Hunting man, we just call yeah. it hunting. <laughs> no, 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 no. Where, where animals you shoot out, you, you sort of like put them in. Oh, Angry Birds. Angry Birds, yes, thank you, Kim. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's sort of like there are now Angry Birds theme parks, right? And there are Avatar theme parks, and there are Star Wars. There's a Star Wars hotel that Disney is creating where you are a character in it. Right, and that will be an alternate reality. Right, instead of a regular hotel, there's now this whole this whole Star Wars overlay on top of it. 
So there's there's just much that you can do, and you can see how you're you're fusing the real and the virtual. You have aspects of of both of those. You know what I love about alternate reality? It just speaks to the huge untapped potential that exists because in the alternate reality games, you know, that you're, you're talking about how people go into flow and flow is your most productive possible state of mind and productivity and performance and whatever you're doing. And we talk about the fact that, gee, shouldn't we be making our work environment be like an alternate reality game? So that people do achieve flow and and think about the, how radically different that is from today's work environments. You know, do your work environments have your people able to go into flow and once there, stay there without interruption. Uh, It it holds so much potential that I think is untapped. Jay McGonigal, sort of the mother of alternate reality, you know, um, wrote a great book called Reality is Broken. And, uh, and she does recommend that you use this internally. And, and the, one of the big things is, is so you can get epic wins. You know, that's what you can get with games. You can get epic wins. And why shouldn't our work de- deliver epic wins to our company, to ourselves and so forth, as Kim recommends? I'm glad you brought up Jane McGonigal because I was going to put a marker here for the end when we get through the eight realms because we're still on alternate reality before we go to work <laughs> reality. Alternate reality is actually a great example and, and Jane McGonigal is now using this for strategizing and yep. and building visions of the future that people cannot yet see so we might come back to that I'm just putting a mental marker here for our audience to, to, that okay. we're going to come back to that because this <laughs> all the multiverse we're going to talk at the end about how to actually put it into action in a prescriptive way so before we get there warped reality is next on all the right. queue all right, let's see. Yeah, let's, let's finish the, with the realm. So, warp warp reality is sort of the odd duck in that it doesn't use digital technology. It is in a virtual place. It's in the real world. But what it does do is play with time, right? It, move, it moves a reality experience and just affects the time axis of moving from time to no time of actual events to autonomous events. And and so, you know, originally we thought this would be sort of this weird thing because it really doesn't have much to do with digital technology. But what, what we realized in the writing was how many different ways you can play with time. And that's, that's the key. And, the, and those ways you play with time can then apply to all sorts of virtual uh, experiences as well. So you can, again, you can hyperlink time. Uh, and, um, and you think about if you're on like a, a scavenger hunt and, or, and you're, you're in a city and you, you, you're, you're walking around and you drop down into the subway and you pop up at a different place. Well, effectively, as far as the city's concerned, it's like you teleported between one place and the other, right? right with, with that no time, uh, in, in between, uh, you can, Kim mentioned, get into flow. Uh, Mihai Chicksat Mihai has, uh, you know, came up with this concept of flow where you all sense of time washes away. And it, it can happen in an alternate reality game and it can happen in virtuality. But when it happens in reality, is really, it really does get you from time to, to no time. You know, whether it's a, a game that you're playing, whether it's a work project that you have, whether your doctors in the operating theater talk about, you know, getting into flow and so forth. And Chicksat Mihai has this great phrase where he talks about what flow does because it, it really gets rid of your sense of time that, that you could be spending three or four hours on something and think only 20 or 30 minutes went by as he talks about the freedom from the tyranny of time. 
right? I love that. I love phrase. that, man. Yeah. It, it, no, right? No time gives you the freedom from the tyranny of time. And, and again, there are so many ways you can do that. You can shift into the past, like in a Civil War reenactment. You can envision the future. Think of it as pre-enactment, that you're envisioning what you're going to be. Consultants do that, right? Is, it, is that uh, we want company, our clients, to be able to envision this future. And therefore, the chances that you can make it happen go way up because to you, it becomes real. Uh, with that uh, envisioning, you can try and be timeless. You can, you know, casinos get rid of t- clocks because they don't want you to know what time it is, <laughs> and they want you to sort of get in flow when you're doing that. Yeah. Uh, but there's other ways you can do that. You can, um, uh, you can do it with the basic theme of the place, uh, Santa Park and Rovaniemi, Finland. You know, where you can meet Santa Claus. Their basic theme is everlasting Christmas. That every day you go there, it's Christmas. Right, whether I'm going, man. I'm actually, I was delighted to see that I'm, I'm bringing the kids this uh, this Christmas. Oh, really? I was, I was going to be there next, uh, well, later this month in November, but it got pushed off to uh, next summer. But it's a wonderful place. Uh, I can connect you with the owner of the company. Uh, so let awesome. me know. Maybe get a little a special experience there. Uh, but uh, but it does, you know, take you out of the current time, whatever it is, and it's now now Christmas. You know, so you can slow down things. You can speed up. My I love cigars. Kim and I often, uh, you know, many times we discuss the infinite possibility over a uh, cigar uh, that we're, uh, you know, that we each enjoyed. And my favorite cigar store in the world is PGC Hyenas in Amsterdam. And the moment I walk through, so, so authentic is this place. And it, it just like slows down my heartbeat. You know, that's what I love about cigars is I relax. I, I start to think differently and my, and, and my, my stress goes way down and so forth. Well, that's a way of playing with time. You know, so there's all these different ways you can play with time and be able to think about that uh, really does warp reality as we know it. That's great, Joe. And we could spend a show on each of actually the realms, but we move on to virtuality because we're running out <laughs> yes. of time. All right. Right. So, so, so we talked about virtuality. Right where it's it's all you know no space no time no matter and it's the opposite of reality where like there's augmented reality there's in fact augmented virtuality and and augmented reality uses digital technology to augment a real world experience augmented virtuality uses material technology physical things substances to augment a virtual experience and that again gets back to the we. And that's that's when I realized this whole framework works. And I realized I could put something there in that in that in that octet, where you use the we to be able to augment your your real world experience. Well, then you know think about when the Connect came out, and the Connect is not just a you know, we as a hand controller. The Connect uses your entire body. Now all of your body is involved in the experience and 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 really controls that experience. And that bodily engagement, I think of as a key thing with augmented virtuality. And again, eventually, it's going to involve all of the the five senses and, and so forth uh, that you'll be able to use to to augment your you know your your virtual experience. Haptic technology and all of that is a way of of doing that. So uh, so then the next one is physical virtuality. Physical virtuality is where you design something virtually, and then you make it real. Right, you. So the end output is something physical, something in the real world, uh, in matter, right? That that exists in time, 
but you are designing it virtually in a virtual place. And, and mass customization is that way. Mass customization is where you work with the customer, figure out what is it they want, and then and only then do you make it for them. So there's a virtual design. You can think about going online to a Nike ID or a Vans.com and design shoes to a Zazzle or a Cafe Press and design a mug or a T-shirt or a mouse pad or any one of a thousand different products that you can create. And all that is a virtual design followed by a physical instantiation of that design. And so therefore the ultimate of it is in fact 3D printing. Well, I mean, the real ultimate is a Star Trek replicator, right? Where you just walk up and say what you want and it forms the atoms. And you think about it, what, what 3D printing does and what a replicator would do is it treats atoms as if they were bits, right? That's the key with physical virtuality. It's like we can program bits with 3D printing, with fab labs and other things like that. You can program atoms. So think about, I love this phrase I got from a Wired Magazine uh, article years ago, but they talked about atom hacking tools, right? That's what physical virtuality is. How can you hack atoms to get them to do what you want uh, and create anything that you want to, and, and make, make things real that were previously, uh, you know, only, only virtual? So that is uh, physical virtuality. So the last realm, right? So the final, the eighth realm that we talked about is mirrored virtuality. Mirrored virtuality is you have a virtual experience, but it's tied into real time in some way. That it's actually mirroring what's going on in the real, real world. And, and the term actually comes from David Galerter's uh, 1992 book, Mirror Worlds. Right, great book. It really presaged the World Wide Web. A lot of people, you know, credit him for really thinking what the World Wide Web would be uh, in this book that came out before the, the the web was ever invented. And the idea is that a mirror world would mirror what's going on in the real world. The easiest example of that is, in fact, a dashboard. You think about a dashboard. What is it? Well, you got your RPM indicator, you got your miles per hour indicator, your fuel gauge, and so forth. All these things are telling you what's happening in the real world in real time. And in many cars today, it's an entirely virtual experience. There's no physical dial. It's just a screen that is mirroring what's going on in the real world. Well, that can happen with any type of simulation of the real world, uh, any type of way of rendering what's going on in the real world. Like, there, you know, there's a whole quantified self movement where people want to hack their own bodies. They want to know what's going on um, um, uh, with their own bodies. And so they, they um, keep track of everything. You know, you think about Fitbits and so forth. I, I got a Fitbit from my, my girls for last, from last Christmas. And now I can track how many steps do I take? How many calories do I burn? How am I active? One of the things I love doing is actually the sleep. You know, how long was I asleep and what stages of sleep that I'm in? And then you can look at that longitudinally and really make a, a difference in your life and change how you do things based off of it. So that's what mirrored virtuality does. It, it, it's, it sort of replicates the real world in a virtual way, you know, in some way, and, and, and ties it to real time. And there's just a lot of value to that. You know, people love tracking stuff. They love what's knowing going on. And that you can do with uh, mirrored virtuality. So that basically is the multiverse. Again, you've got these eight octants that are formed from these six endpoints that, we, that Kim and I call experience design variables that are based off of the three dimensions of time, space, and matter uh, that yield this, this one multiverse where, where anything can happen, where we can now 
you know, create experiences and, and, and things that have never before, again, been created. Joe, it's fantastic to get the multiverse from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Now we have the framework. Now we have the lens. How do we then deploy it? So there's a chapter in the book called Design to Deployment. And Kim, it'd be great to understand how businesses can use this first, and then perhaps how we can even use it for our lives. That chapter talks about the orchestration of exploration and exploitation. And that you need to be persistently acting into the future. And, and that means continually exploring and exploring on all fronts. What we've identified in there is uh, several principles and examples of how you go about developing a virtuous cycle of exploring, exploiting, and operating that produces the continual regeneration of the enterprise in sustaining its vitality indefinitely, which is only done, of course, if you're persistently creating new value. I always like to say, you know, for every challenge an enterprise has, however they look at it, it's ultimately a managing challenge. What you actually end up with in the, the deployment chapter is a sort of preview or overview of the regenerative managing framework. It's not presented as a framework, as many of the principles, because we didn't have the framework yet at that time. <laughs> Do you know, Kim, I, I want to ask you this. So I love the way, you know, you can use the multiverse first to envisage your future to create a vision and you can actually bring that vision to light. So pre-enactment, as Joe said, so you can actually create a, a vision for people who, you know, we're all different. Some people don't have vision, so they can't actually create an imaginative future that doesn't exist yet. They can only move incrementally, which is a problem in management, a problem in leadership. So right. they can use the, the multiverse to do that. And then they can actually use it to bring prototypes to life. And I thought about, mm -hmm. say, a company like Ikea. So moving into the digital age, huge threat coming from people like Alibaba, Amazon, etc. Company like that, and they've just bought TaskRabbit. And Joe, I, I kind of quipped to myself that this is part of your original experience economy shift, that they moved from products to services or emerging the two. But how does a company like that then move up a level and add the lens of the multiverse to bring themselves to an even bigger level? Well, one of the th things that you brought up is how does a company actually give this traction or something? And, and, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, here's the principles we want to follow in our exploring. And we hope out of that, we expect out of that to get the new value creation opportunities. But without right. a direction, without a purpose, without an identity established, and you talked about vision, without a fully crafted identity, you're all over the place because there is infinite possibility and, and you can't work on infinite number of things at a time. So uh, part of the exercise is, in fact, to help craft that identity of what you want to be and what types of actions you're ultimately going to be taking to create value with that identity. That's right. Kim uh, pointed out to me once um, uh, W. Brian Arthur's, I think, famous uh, definition of technology uh, as a, a means to a human end. You know, it's a, it's a human purpose. And what is that purpose? What do we want to do for our customers? What value do we want to create? And, and as Kim says, that's sort of the first starting point. And then with that direction that we have for exploration is, is we then need to explore. And so we recommend, and we, when we do workshops with clients, is that we explore in multiple rounds, right? So first we can explore just off of the the three dimensions and the six endpoints. You know, what you know, we can explore 
um, usually start with the virtual side of, of no space. What are virtual things we can explore? No matter what are the digital substances that we can we can add to our to our uh, experience and our interactions with customers. And then no time. How can we play with time in a way that's going to value customers? And then go to the 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 reality variables of time, space, and matter. Then we want to go into the those eight octants. And usually we start with the one that is most appropriate, where where the company has its center of gravity today, and start moving off of that. So an IKEA, for example, is most you can buy online, but it's their stores that are the the biggest part of it. And so if you think about those reality-based stores, well, then let's start looking uh, outside of it. Let's go from reality to the other three virtual, uh, or excuse me, reality-based worlds of physical virtuality, augmented reality, and warp reality. And then once we've explored each one of those, using those examples in the book, we have a set of principles at the, every, at the end of every chapter, usually you know, eight to 15 different ways of applying it. So let's go through those principles one by one. What are ways that we can do that? And you just come up with tons of ideas. And then go further away from that reality-based store and look at augmented virtuality, at mirrored virtuality, and at alternate reality. And what are the possibilities there? Finally, go completely opposite, go to virtual. You know, what, what are the virtuality-based experiences that we can create? So you're going to end up with a whole host of ideas that then we can now um, um, begin to sift through and see which ones hold the most promise, begin to test those, whether they in fact do have great opportunity, and then finally prototype and implement those that, that in the end make sense. You're going you're gonna to develop the thing about the multiverse. There's so much possibility, right? Infinite possibility, we call it, that you're going to develop far more ide- ideas than you can possibly implement. So you do have to think through what the, you know, sift through these ideas and come up with those that are exactly right for you amidst the infinite possibility. One thing that Joe touched on, I want to emphasize, is that the thing that energizes and guides these explorations and fuels them is if you have a very compelling, meaningful purpose that you're trying to achieve with the value you create as an enterprise. And, and what and that's what gets people the juices flowing. You don't want to just step through the realms and explore randomly. It's too diffuse. But you get people focused on, oh, we're going to now step through the realms knowing we're setting out to further this purpose that's meaningful to us and the enterprise and our customers. Beautiful, Kim. And I planted a marker earlier on when we talked about Jane McGonigal. And she has brought this world to life where she's gone and used her skills as in ARGs to bring it to strategy to create really meaningful strategies for the world, for the future of mankind. Joe, you do those kinds of exercises uh, with your group in mm-hmm. Colorado. Yeah, it's a, it's a company I work with in Colorado, Sterizen Studio, that does in fact help companies envision their future. You know, its purpose is to help companies become premier experience stagers. They do that with a theme of explore, discover, transform. And and we do things like, and what is this future that we uh, want to envision? What is the purpose that defines it? And now let's put meat on the bones. Uh, and uh, and it is it is along exactly along the lines of what McGonagall is talking about. You know, she has a great TED talk in, in called Gaming Can Make a Better World. 
and as well as her, her book that we referenced earlier, Reality is Broken. And she even did a Harvard Business Review piece. You know, that's, that's a key thing that, that says this, use this in your companies to figure out what you should do and where you should go. Because ARGs, you know, the, the alternate reality games, they create skills that and ways of thinking that you wouldn't otherwise have. And that's why I think it is so applicable to the, the real world of how we do business. I thought a great way to kind of bring it to a close today was the idea you talk about the quoting Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. And you talk about the great um, example of, of how many pieces you can build with just six Lego bricks. And there's eight realms of the multiverse. So you have eight bricks there, but there, there's been a, it's more than a thought experiment. It's been an experiment that's been done. How many pieces you can build with just six Lego bricks. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, I, I I have right 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 here at my desk. I have the six red Lego bricks. You know, they're two by fours. I always keep them with me whenever I'm traveling on business. You know, I have them in my pocket so I can explain them to people. Uh, because you know, first of all, it relates to mass customization. Because you know, when you modularize, that's what Lego bricks are. They're modularity, different elements that fit together with a linking system. When you modularize your offerings, well, then you can you can. Um, in fact, uh, uh, mass customize them. You can put them together in different ways for different people. One of the things I actually recently discovered, and I'm sort of amazed it took me to this long, you know, my original book on mass customization in 1993, I have a framework in there that not, that not original with me, but I expanded it on six types of modularity. And it was only this year that I realized that digital technology itself is a type of modularity. That zeros and ones are modules, and in fact, is the only thing that has more possibility than Lego building bricks is mm -hmm. digital technology, where you do effectively almost get to the, the the true infinite. But with six bricks, Lego published this that the number of different ways you can put them together is one hundred two million nine hundred eighty one thousand five hundred. Nice, I, Joe. I, I got that number. <laughs> number. One hundred two million nine hundred eighty one thousand five hundred. And this, uh, this Danish kid, you know, wanted to figure out how they got that number and tried to figure out, couldn't do it. So he talked to a couple of, of mathematics professors and they eventually figured it out that, and they figured out that Lego was wrong. You know, the, first of all, that the, the actual number is 102,981,504. So I figured, well, they just must have rounded. But then also they figured out that Lego only counted six high combinations. You know, where all the Legos are stacked one on top of each other. But if you think about it, if you can start to put them crossways and you can create five high, four high, three high, two high combinations of Legos. You can't create one high because those are basically the Legos laying on the floor. But that happens a lot. But uh, that's some people's strategy, man, you're talking about there. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> Your strategy is laying all over the floor. <laughs> They're not even joined up. Right. Exactly. Come on. So out when you add in all the others that the actual number of all the different heights of combinations is 915,103,765. And that's only six Lego bricks. You know, we talk about uh, in there in the, in, in the book, this is in the afterward uh, to the book, to infinity and beyond, as you mentioned. You know, the, Which I loved, by the way. It was oh, a lovely you. way to finish. Yeah. Good, good. I, 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 yeah, I love it too. So I don't know how many people ever make it to the afterward, you know, but. <laughs> what I love, Joe, about the afterward and Kim is the human element, because I found the analogy of infinite, no matter, no time and infinity 
a very, very strong analogy for life because many people think life is about stuff and then they get to the end and they realize it's about no matter, no time and infinity if, if that's your right. mindset. <laughs> right. Beautiful, beautiful. So, yeah, so one of the things we point out is that, you know, that there are actually, you know, as of 2011, there were 3,900 different kinds of Lego elements with over 58 different colors and over 7,500 active combinations. And, uh, and they, they produce about 21 billion elements a year. <laughs> so you start to add all the combinations of Lego up is, it, you know, it, you begin to get, you know, a, a 10 followed by hundreds and hundreds of zeros, right? Just huge. But that's even a small amount of the total combination. That's just Legos. Think about all the other things we have in the world and how all they can connect together, mm. right? You, the, the zeros just multiply. But now, in fact, that it's sort of it's a mathematical uh, truity, although it hasn't been proved per se. But the fact is, you can never have an actual infinite number of anything. That you get into these, you know, these paradoxes and things that if you have an infinite number of anything. So, so to say infinite possibility is, in fact, a little bit of hyperbole. It's just merely huge number, you know, with hundreds and hundreds and thousands and millions of of zeros. But it does recognize, too, that beyond the multiverse, right, beyond what we talk about in the universe, there is still something that is truly infinite, right? And that is the eternal. And the word eternal doesn't mean everlasting, as often people think. The word eternal means outside of time, something that exists outside of time and outside of space and outside of matter, as well as no time, no space, and no matter. And one of the things to think about, as you said, is, you know, we think, Living our lives, it's about stuff, but it really is about the eternal. It really is about why are we on this earth? What purposes and, and why are we here? What's the ultimate purpose for everything? And I encourage people to think about that as well. Think about what's beyond this world. Think about the eternal and how what we do here impacts what we become. Beautiful, Joe. Beautiful. And Kim, that's a lovely segue for you your and Joe's new book, When the Business Starts Thinking That Way, Regenerative Organizations. We have the framework done. We're just going through refining it and figuring out how to best present it. Yeah. And as Kim mentioned before, it does intersect with everything we, we talk about. You know, the regenerative management framework does talk about, you need to understand the identity of the firm, you know, that Jim and I first talked about in authenticity, coming up with elements of identity that, that, that Kim and I have now expanded, in fact. Uh, it relates to what are the offerings that you create, and and that relates to the progression of economic value from the experience economy that defines the five economic offerings that you can create: commodities, goods, services, experiences, and and transformations. Uh, relates to infinite possibility. What are the possibility that lies before you? How do you how do you unleash the creativity of your people to be able to to uh, effect those possibilities, to, to make them happen. Uh, and, and, and as Kim said, it, and then it all gets down to all of that, all of that has to be serving your meaningful purpose, serving the reason why you as a corporation exist in the world and why you as a person, your purpose aligns with it so that you can truly make a difference uh, in this world. Nice, Joe. And I look forward to having you both on to talk about that one. And fi final, uh, I'll, I'll get that in there now. <laughs> final uh, final question is just from a business perspective, where can people find you both, Kim and Joe, and find out about your work and where to contact you for strategic work? Kim? I have a website. It's a very difficult URL. It's kimcorn.com. 
Ooh, wait, wait, wait. Is that with K or a C? Oh, or? yes. K-I-M-K-O-R-N.com. And in there, Joe and I have put together a, a couple, few pages that will tell you about where we're going with regenerative managing and what we're up to, uh, as well as some of our passwords. Fantastic. And Joe? I actually do have bjp2.com, bjosephpie2.com, but I've never actually used it. But uh, you can find find me at strategichorizons.com. That's my company with Jim Kilmore and our managing partner, Doug Parker, Strategic Horizons with an S. Got my bio there. Got uh, I have a section where I put down latest thoughts. You know, what are some things? I actually had one recently where I talked about the power of modularity and introduced this concept that digital technology, in fact, is the most robust form of modularity we have today. One of the key reasons why why you need to infuse your offerings with digital technology because anything you can digitize, you can customize. And so, and there's a way to get in contact with me there as well. And I'll give links to both your sites on the show and where to get the book as well. One thing I know is for sure, I'm not going to play Lego with either of you in the future. <laughs> but, but I do look forward to sharing a cigar with you in the physical world someday. So uh, super! it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Authors of Infinite Possibility, Creating Customer Value on the Digital Frontier, Kim Korn and B. Joseph Pine II. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Aiden. Thanks, Aiden.